0: I was looking for one of the Danvers tales that would be at all appropriate for me to read to you here, and having a real problem finding one. Not because they aren't of literary merit or appropriate for this medium, but because they're all so full of phonetically written patois and inflection from the area around the border of Vermont and Canada, circa 1870 an absolutely rich musicality in the text that Hayden Caruth mentions in the introduction and that musicality I won't even come close to approximating in this reading but risk and imperfection are what the internet's for I suppose or what it should be for or my excuse for doing it anyway hopefully it's at least tolerable good evening It's Friday, the 24th of February, 2012, and it's Mietz Bedtime Story Podcast. Breaking Camp by Roland E. Robinson The cobwebs of mist on the marshes had not caught a sunbeam when the camp was astir the next morning, for the smoke of its fire arose earlier than the sun, that had only glided the tree tops above it when breakfast was ready. The meal was eaten in unwonted silence. There were no plans proposed for the day's sport, for there was to be no sport, and no one attempted to joke, for though the prospect of getting home was pleasant to men who had seldom been so long away from it. There was some heaviness of spirit Tending the last of these days of carefree life, Days without beginnings and endings of chores, Nor filled with worry, nor weary toil, Days of hand-to-mouth living, And such primitive, unthought-of to-morrow, As the heart of the best-tamed man Loves and yearns for When its last drop of old, wild blood awakes, As it sometimes will, and tingles through his civilized veins. This uneliminated atom still holds us to kinship with nature, and though it may not be the best part of us, without it we should be worse than we are. He who loses all love for our common mother is, indeed a wretched being, poorer than the beasts. When breakfast was eaten, the frying-pan, kettle, and tin plates were cleaned as they had not been before since leaving the home cupboards. for they were soon to undergo the inspection of housewifely eyes, which the glamour of a hundred pickerel would not blind to the imperfections of man's careless or unskilful scullionry. I tell you what. "'said Joseph Hill as he scraped away with a clamshell "'at the bottom layer of a week's accumulation of burned grease. "'I'm a-going to tell Marie that we hadn't got no soap, and water here is hard. "'Nuff fun ain't too much. "'But it's hard, and won't take a halt o' grease, "'no more'n it does your stomach.' "'The way that oleogernous grease conjoles in a dish "'when it catches it away from home "'is something beyond my misapprehension,' said Solon, "'while he swabbed a plate with a stick of firewood. "'It's something at nothing but the female mind a woman can wrestle with. "'Concern the dishes. "'Let's sink em in the creek, accidental.' "'Then we'd catch it worse,' said Joseph." "'as he began scouring his frying-pan with a stone. "'I'd rather send this and stay myself and go to home without it.' "'Marie's always tellin' our her "'I don't know, but was her grandmother, "'fetched it from Connecticut, "'and cooked basswood leaves in it to the sky here "'Sam Hill, you take it, grease and sot and all, "'and leave me here.' Antoine, on his knees scouring knives and forks by thrusting them into the earth, said, "'Well, I don't care for me, because you see, boy, I will be the cook, and I'll have responsibility for the clean, ain't. So then, ain't it?' "'Well,' said Sam, wiping out the kettle with a handful of leaves and packing a dirty shirt and a pair of socks in it, "'I hain't responsible to nobody.' "'But your time's a comin', young man, "'and you want to be getting ready for it. "'H.B. is the first letters of her name, "'and she hain't thick under the nail "'and won't be when there's a L-sot to him.' "'You see,' said Joseph, "'and his words had a portentous ring, "'as he delivered them into the frying pan "'held close before his face, "'while he anxiously inspected its interior.' "'I really do believe that, and I see iron, "'leastways I got down to signs of the first breakfast. "'If folks only had sense enough "'to do the cooking on sticks and coals and hot stuns "'and eat them off chips and birch bark, "'they'd'll take more comfort in living, "'seems ought they would. "'If they didn't have quite so much present enjoyment, "'they wouldn't have so much dread of the future. "'Anyway, I wished this old frying-pan had stayed in Connecticut "'if Marie's grandfather and grandmother had to eat the brows raw, "'Seems off I did most. "'To Sam occurred the happy thought of taking the dishes down to the lake shore. "'There, with the abundance of sand and water, "'the labour of cleansing went on more satisfactorily to the men, "'but greatly to the discomfort of many sandpipers.' These flitted back and forth past them on down-curved wings or stood a stilt in the shallow verge, jerking out cries of alarm with every beat of their wings or tilt of their slender bodies. About the middle of the forenoon, Sam looked upstream from the camp, where he was busy packing blankets and outfit and more odds and ends than he remembered bringing, descried a boat "'in the farthest bend. "'At first it seemed stationary, "'with oars rising and falling in purposeless strokes, "'like a great water-bug waving its antennae "'for the mere sake of motion, "'but it was drawing nearer. "'The red flannel back of the rower's vest "'could now be made out, "'and the rise and fall of his straw hat, "'and the thump, squeak and splash of his oars "'could be heard.' "'and the surge of the water before the broad bow of the scow. "'And then forsaking the long curve of the channel "'and striking right across the marshy cape "'that is half water and half weeds, "'it headed for the mouth of the creek. "'Sam was certain enough of the rower's identity "'to shout to his comrades that Uncle Tyler was coming.' They went to meet him at the landing, when gaping with his deaf stare at his course, though he who is known as Time was steering for him, he sent the scow ashore with a final stroke. Time's salutation shouted at the top of his voice was, "'Any of you fellers got any tobacco for this old critter?' "'He begged the last muscle till I had an hour ago.' Uncle Tyler took his pipe from the seat beside him, knocked the ashes out on the gunwale, and came rheumatically ashore with his left hand extended. "'Mussy snakes alive! I sent up to the shore for some by sergeant's boy, but he forgot it. That tarnal boy can never remember nothin', and I'd ought to know'd better to send by him. I'm glad it wasn't you it forgot for once. "'said Joseph, who, by a lucky chance, "'had, at the first attempt, hit upon the right pocket "'and handed over his last depleted paper of long cut. "'Uncle Tyler was soon comforting himself "'with what mitigated his chronic unhappiness, "'a pipeful of what it pleased him to call "'Borrowed Tobacco.' "'Now, hurry up and be spry,' he said, "'for I ought to be to home a-working in my garden.' Brotherfoot's camp-meeting tent had been taken down and packed, and with all their other effects and the box of salted fish, put on board the scow. They were ready to depart. But Sam had forgotten something, which obliged him to revisit the site of the camp. He was ashamed to tell it was only for a last look." The downfall of noontide sunlight splashed the floor of the woods with gold around silhouettes of branches, twigs, and leaves, bent over the rocks and crinkled along last year's leaves they were laid upon. Between leaves, branches, and tree-trunks were shown in fantastic shapes patches of sky and lake, and all the sunlit outer world. "'Birds sang blithely of their happy life "'and mingled with their songs "'came from far away "'sounds of life and stir of the world, "'and yet this place seemed lifeless. "'How lonesome and forsaken it was! "'The carpet of old brown leaves "'worn by frequent footsteps "'down to the black mould of dead years, "'strewn with tobacco paper, "'broken pipes and fish-bones.' the castaway ridge-pole of the tent lying like a fallen roof-tree athwart the matted bed of cedar twigs, whereon they had dreamed dreams pleasanter than life, so deserted now that a chipmunk ventured to explore it. It seemed to Sam almost like the ruins of a house wherein he had dwelt for years. For old acquaintance's sake— he tried to light his pipe in the ashes of the fireplace, but the last ember was dead, and only exhaled a faintly pungent odour of smoke. "'But I'm coming again,' he said, as he hurried down the steep footpath. A vireo sang behind him, as if to call him back.